thing, I'm going to introduce our speaker, who also my parents introduced, but Anne Morrow uh, has been a significant part of the New Life movement. She's been through a lot. She's got a lot of wisdom to share, so lean in, open your Bibles if you've got your Bibles here this morning, and let's welcome up, put our hands together, please, for Pastor Anne Morrow. Thank you, Grace. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, Church. <laughs> it's just a huge privilege to be with you today. Actually, the lights are so bright I can hardly see you. <laughs> but um, And I do want to just so thank uh, Pastors Adam and Anita for the invitation, but not only for that, but for who they are. You know, they are just amazing pastors and tremendous leaders in our movement. And I just so thank God for the way in which they are taking us forward into the new day, which is just amazing. So I bless them and honor them today as well. Well, this is an amazing day, isn't it? And what I'm sharing today, I feel like I'm just giving some broad strokes because I, I know that one of my roles is to teach and what teachers love to do is to so break it down word by word and, um, and, and, and sometimes I've got to step back from that and present what I really sense God is saying in a, in a broader way. But um, I... Of all the days that I have been through, and I've been so grateful for um, being part of previous moves of God, but I honestly believe uh, we have entered into the greatest era that any of us have experienced. And um, I'm not only saying that, I believe we've tasted it. And um, uh, those of you who have been watching what's happened through Ashbury with the um, move of God in the universities is absolutely amazing. And um, the thing I loved about the move at Ashbury, and it spread right through um, to many universities, first of all, it is with universities, with young people. And um, I, as I heard about it, I thought, I wonder how many prayers of parents and grandparents are being answered at the time and you would have ever you would have thought I wondered if this could ever happen to my child well it's amazing what God is doing and the beautiful thing about this move is that it isn't led by a personality but it's just a simple move of God with deep deep drawings and hunger drawing young people to know what it is to encounter him knowing what it is to experience him knowing what it is to just really see how faithful and how good God is. And that is a beautiful song we've sung, Oh, the goodness of God. And, and I, I truly stand as a testimony to that, but that doesn't mean that I've always felt like his goodness and mercy were following me. There have been times when I've said, that's what your word says, Lord, but it sure doesn't feel like it today. And you can either go back to that doubt and unbelief or... I refuse to stay there. I said, that's what I may feel like, but this is what your word declares, and this is who you are. And so I make a very intentional shift from what I'm feeling to proclaim who he is. And I just really think, oh God, you are absolutely amazing. I'm so glad he's kept me on the planet for such a time as this. <laughs> you older ones. Actually, I have difficulty in classifying when did I turn old because I don't believe I've got there yet. <laughs> but um, 
I said, Lord, you've kept us for such a time as this. And you've just had um, Andrew Cannon and Daz here last week. And I just so love the ministry that they together share. And, you know, um, as we talk about harvest, you know, it's wonderful to talk about it. It's like a, a child coming into or the news that a, a conception has taken place and everything begins to focus on the preparation for that child, the anticipation, the joy, the, and you think, well, this is what we've been longing for. And then the baby comes and everything changes. Well, we all know that, don't we? I've had five. And... And as I think about the harvest, as I look at what God's doing, the challenge to my heart is, are we ready for this? Have we got, first of all, not literal space, but have we got space in our hearts to be inconvenienced to, um, and if some of you have seen the Jesus Revolution, I mean, it was just wonderful to see what God was, did at that particular time. But I was not impressed, but challenged by those who thought about what's, what, what the church was like. What about the carpet? They come in with bare feet. They'll mess everything up. And I loved the response of Greg Laurie at that time. He's, he's, he didn't argue with them. He just lifted the carpet up. And they came in and he washed their feet. I thought that was just amazing. So I, I just want to say, for you pray for increase, you pray for the harvest, but are you ready for it in your hearts? And I find that a personal challenge also. And um, I've been taken recently with the prayer of Jabez, which I'm sure you have heard that people speak about that many times. And it's, I find that interesting as you go through the book of Judges. Those first four chapters are pretty boring. How many of you have stuck with them? And then all of a sudden they come, but Jabez. And there was a thing about him that it says he was born in pain, not a good start. But however, it, it, um, he, and I love this, it said he was made more honorable. And I thought, Jabez, what was it that made you more honorable than those who were around you? And I just thought, even though he was born in pain, he refused to let the disappointments, he refused to let the adversity, he refused to take on the excuses or use the regrets to keep him where he was. Did you hear me on that? And what did he do? He, he didn't want them to confine or to define him, but he cried out to God and he prayed. And it's interesting we're never remembered for what he did with Jabez, but all we've got is he was a man who prayed and God answered his prayer. And what was his prayer? There's several dimensions of it which were amazing, but the thing that struck me as I was preparing for this, oh God, enlarge my heart. And I think that's what God wants to do with each one of us, to take us out of a small-mindedness, to, to, to put a capacity in our hearts as we pray for the harvest. Actually, it's easier to pray for some things than what it is to receive the answers. And I want to challenge you as I challenge my own life. Oh, God, 
Oh God, that you would indeed enlarge our hearts. Because as I looked at that Jesus revolution and I've looked at some of the scenarios we've been through and read some articles recently, you know, one of the biggest challenges to the church, and it's astounded me in the midst of what God's doing, as I came into this year, I was absolutely grieved and disappointed to hear of how many people have fallen through the cracks. COVID derailed a lot of people. And, and it was just, as, as, we, as I thought about it, and I heard one significant minister in the state say that over 30 million people have, have become disconnected with the church. And I thought, oh, God, what is it that disconnects people from the church? And that was the passion of, 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 of the message I really wanted to share with you today. And I'm sure it would be the passion of pastors Anita and Adam that we want to be, he, wants, he would look at you and say, I want you all to finish well. I don't want any of you to be a statistic like we're hearing about that falls through the cracks. And as um, I, I have a, a wonderful group of people that I mentor every week, and uh, I, we were talking about this. And so I got them to say, okay, let's discuss what are the things that cause us to fall through the cracks. And we listed 12 various different things. And as I pondered those, there was one that stood out to me as I was preparing to come here, and it was one of the things that causes people to fall out is they become disconnected. And I was preparing this, and then all of a sudden the penny dropped. This is called Connect Church. So <laughs> I thought, oh, dear Anne, will I change? Because... It's like bringing coals to Newcastle. But I felt such a, a passion about it that God wants us to actually find out ways where we are not only connected, but are, we are prepared to bring the harvest in. And um, as I pondered on this, the harvest coming in, we want them to not only come to know Jesus as their saviour, but we want them to be finishers well. And so I sense we are in a season where God of realignment, where God is apprehending us again, and not only apprehending us again, but challenging us. Okay, what are you going to be like in these days that I'm going to answer that prayer for harvest? Some of the reasons people fall out with connectedness and become disconnected and it's not that they didn't have a passion. Like all of you will remember Peter when Jesus said just before the cross, he said, look, you are all going to leave me, you know, because of what's coming up. And Peter, and I love Peter because he's so ambitious and so out there. And he says, oh, no, I, Lord, whatever happens, I will never, never, never leave you. And that's when the Lord said to him, Peter, I'm sure the Lord was thinking, Peter, I love your heart, but in three days. And then the, the rooster will crow and you will have denied me three times. We said, no, 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 that will never happen. And as I've looked through the scriptures, 
it hasn't been always those that have been in the background that have fallen through, but some with, with, that started off with a passion. And I thought, oh, Father, may we never, never feel or lose our passion for you because you can receive the word and you can receive it with joy in the parable of the star. But what happens? Everything else comes in and it chokes what God wants to seed in your heart and in your spirit. Like even though the word is shared Sunday by Sunday, how many of you go and say, well, that was a nice service. You go out and enjoy lunch and someone says later on, well, how did church go? Well, it was fine. Well, what did happen? Hmm, what did happen? <laughs> what did he say? But we haven't allowed a word to take root in our hearts. So because of forgetting who God is is a downward spiral, and that then we become lukewarm. And um, that's a really sad place to be in. Actually, God says in Revelation 2 verse 5, he said, I would rather you were cold rather than lukewarm. I can't stand double-mindedness, in, out, in, out. And, and I think that's something that God is really addressing. Another conversation that concerns me is people who say, well, I really love God with all my heart, but I don't love church. Okay, and I'm church. And because the church to them has either been religious or it's been a place of hurt, a place of disappointment, a place where expectations were not really met. And I just really think if we harbor those kind of situations in our heart, and there have been several occasions where I've stood up and I've said on behalf of the church that I represent and said, look, I am just so, so sorry. And I felt like I've had to ask people to forgive the church because we're anything but perfect and you just need to be here for a week and you realize, oh, I love this, but I'm not sure about them. But I really do believe that God is challenging us, challenging us very, very deeply because with COVID, I don't know about you, we moved into an era of convenience in terms of church. Um, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or put your hands up, but how many found it easier to watch church online in your pajamas with a cup of coffee? And you got to like that. And then when it started to come back together again, you felt inconvenienced. But I promise you that with what God is doing in these days, you are going to be terribly inconvenienced with what God is doing. But do you want the harvest to come in? 
And I just really think as God moves among young people, they come in as is and how is. And how are we going to receive them? I believe God wants us to lift our eyes and not let them feel like they're being judged. But Lord, the love of God is so shared abroad in our hearts that they would, it's not something we talk about, but it's something we emanate, it's something we feel, it's something we transmit because they're coming in their incredible brokenness and often they're coming into our brokenness as well and that's why I feel God is doing an amazing thing in the church is healing our brokenness not that we'll be perfect but we are maybe a step ahead I, we can say I know what it, what it feels like but I also know what it is for God to heal and restore I, I have a passion for finishing well but not only is it something that I feel in my walk with God, but it's something in the natural. Um, we have um, some, I have 11 grandchildren, and um, they are very, very competitive. And because when your scriptures talk about finishing well, it's often in the context of rice, of, of, of sport, of races with the arena. But as I've watched my grandchildren, they didn't decide on the day of the competition that they were going to be a winner or to be an athlete. When did they decide that? They decided it in their earlier days, the kind of athlete they were going to be. And, and, and sometimes, because three of them have already represented New Zealand, I've got two others that are in New Zealand squads, and I look at them and I think, why would you do that? Why all the hard yards? I've got one who's in San Francisco at the moment on a scholarship, a sports scholarship, and chatting to his grandma, oh, my body hurts. Why would you do it? And they do it for an earthly crown. But God has likened that race to what we've been called into, into a race, and we do it not for what we shall receive down here, but for a heavenly crown. And I truly believe in the midst of all of our lives, God wants to enlarge our heavenly perspective. We're not here just to live here. We are living because we are going to live for all eternity. And it's not a perspective that people take on today. And what robs them of that perspective? Because I want it now. I want it now. One of my granddaughters, she's in the, was in the New Zealand team in the basketball in the university era, and she's a shooter. And I look at and I, and I and it's exciting to watch her get those three points. But when did that? Did she just do that on the day? No, during COVID, she was out practicing shooting goals, and some days she was shooting over 500 goals a day. Why was she doing that? She, she was challenged by it. It was for fun. But she had her eye. I want to be in that team. And you know, God wants every one of us to be on that team. And when we think of the race, there's a scripture in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we are encompassed with such a great cloud of witnesses. And I wonder if you're mindful of those that have gone before you. I certainly am with my husband being up there 
and also we have lost some little grandchildren through miscarriages. But as we are encompassed with them, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily, easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this is very real to me because um, our eldest daughter, they'd already lost two children with mis miscarriages and they were expecting twins. And the excitement was mounting as we went into each trimester and we crossed the hurdles. And then one day you get the news that she's going to lose these twins at 23, 24 weeks. That'd probably be one of the most painful days I've walked through. And without going into the situation that I passed through because of it, but after uh, several years later, because we always remember that day as if they're still part of us, and I was going over to England to another son visiting. And I thought, how can I make this day special to them? And this scripture came to my mind. And, I, and an, uh, an artist friend, I said, draw me a card of what it is to be in that race. And he drew me a card. And here was Peter with these little ones beside him in the grandstands. And here was um, Peter, Elizabeth, and Elliot running in the race. And I felt I wrote them a letter from the kids and in the letter I thanked them for taking the risk of trying again to have a child I thanked them for the pain and the anxiety that had been caused and I thanked them for having courage to go through with it but I said, even though we would have loved to have been cuddled by you, even though we would have loved you to have caused us to grow up, we want you to know that for all eternity, you are going to have us. For all eternity, they already have got a family, not what we would have planned or initially loved. And then... Then the picture came to me of the children and Peter was shouting from the, from the um, spectators, go for it, go for it. It's so worth it. No matter what you go through, this is more than what you could have ever believed or what you could have ever dreamed for. And I want you to sense that in your heart. Whatever you go through, whatever, look, you're, it's just for eternity. It's just for here, but in all eternity. And this is what I thought. Oh, what a picture that is for all eternity. So no wonder sometimes I say to the Lord, I love that he still kept me here. But I said, oh, I so look forward to that day of meeting a family, a beautiful family. And that scripture goes on to say, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race. It says, study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was heading. He never lost sight of an exhilarating finish. And what was the exhilarating finish that Jesus was looking forward to? It was the joy of knowing that you would be part of his family. Can you believe that? If you can stop and think that, Jesus, you went through every aspect of the cross, through the shame, and why be, whatever you went through, because you wanted a family. That is absolutely amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And when I think about what happened at the cross, I actually need to change this page, I think. <coughs> because 
It said, study how he did it. Jesus, how did you go through the cross? As Easter is still so current, have you wondered why he did it and how he did it? And I go back to creation because what God did, he looked, he, he made all of creation, which you know about. And he and, his, and Jesus and the Father were there together. And they looked at it and they marveled and they said, but that's not enough. And then they said, let us make man in our own image. Because what was the longing of God and his longing for you was relationship. And, and they said, let us make. And it was interesting there's a scripture in Revelation which says that Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. He wasn't just slain at the cross, but from the foundation of the earth, God had provided an answer to the mess. And I could imagine the Father and Jesus saying, oh, is this a good idea, God? They're going to mess this up, and I'm going to pay for it. And I thought, this was quite a fresh revelation to me over this Easter. So for all from the creation to the cross, Jesus carried the fact that he was going to be slain for you and me. And I think, what love. It wasn't, you couldn't just say, oh, God loves me. No, he so loved that for those thousands of years, over his, uh, over his life was, I am going to be a lamb slain for these people that we have created. And I could imagine Jesus saying to his father, are they worth it? Are they worth it? Are you worth it? And they agreed that we were. Isn't that amazing? He agreed that you were so worth it. And, and then we come to Easter. And it said, how did he do that? How did he run that race? Because he never lost sight of where he was heading. The cross was something that was planned, predicted, and prophesied. And the enemy thought that he had Jesus in his hands but I just loved several of the scenarios related to the cross. I wonder if you've ever noticed that one when they actually came, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. I didn't realize until just this Easter that when they, I thought maybe 10 soldiers came to arrest him, but they said there, were, there was actually a, a rank of soldiers up to five or 600 that came to arrest Jesus in the garden. They knew that he was powerful. And when he, they came, Jesus, knowing what was ahead, what would you do if, you, if that was knowing what was ahead? I'd have been 100 miles running in the opposite direction. But what did Jesus do? Because of his vision and his love for you, he went out to meet them. And they said, and he asked them a question, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And I love what he said. He said, I am he. And you know what happened at that moment? Five or six hundred fell over backwards. Who was all powerful? Who had things in his hands? 
And when he got them up again, again, he, he said, who are you looking for? And then Matthew brought out a, a thought. He could have called 10,000. Literally, 72, a legion was, was about 12,000. So he could have called 72,000 angels to rescue him from that moment. But what kept him there? I tell you, church, his love for you, his love for me, that I would be with him, not only saved, but part of his bride for all eternity. For Jesus, there was no turning back. He could have turned back, but there was no turning back. And then actually on the cross, I can't bear to watch it. But when it came to the part where he said, it is finished. Do you know what he was saying? I now have my bride. And that which was decreed at the, from the creation of the earth, he said, now I've got my bride. And I thought, oh, Father, that has fueled my passion for him because I don't want to be a bridesmaid. I want to be part of his bride. And I thought, oh, Jesus, how did that cause you to live on the earth? How, and I, and I, I want to mention this in cause of reaching this harvest that God's going to bring into us. Because it's not just going to happen, it's going to happen as God changes, enlarges our heart, as God fuels us with a new baptism of the Holy Spirit, and as God changes our, our concepts of who he is. And in Philippians 2, it gives us a brief explanation of Jesus and who he was. But what he did because of his love, he reduced himself to the form of a servant, even the death of the cross. And Matthew 10, 45 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to have service rendered to him, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I say that as a minister. I'm not here first and foremost as a minister. I'm here as a servant of Jesus Christ. I love a definition that an old colleague used to say, do you know what a big shot is? It's a little shot away from home. <laughs> Who are we? We are here because of his gifting. And I want these new ones to come in. I want them to finish well. I want them to be connected. I want them to be like in the sports arena. You know, my son, who's absolutely an enthusiastic supporter, actually in one of the narrations, I was watching the game, and Paul was on the sideline because he had two of his daughters in this New Zealand team. And the um, narrator said, and they've also got an excited father on the sideline. <laughs> Why? To encourage them. You did well. We're proud of you. And every believer needs to feel that. Needs to feel we are so proud of you. We so want to support you. And I really just so feel that God wants us to be so knitted together. So knitted together. 
so know what it is to be one, so connected. Let me go on, because not only is it the people that come in, it's just horrendous abuse. It's not only child abuse, there's parental abuse, and there's older abuse out there. And so they're coming in in their brokenness, and how are we going to welcome and think, oh, no, not another. But I just love what Paul said. He said, I run into the abundance of God so that I can fulfill my purpose. And I think I, I want to say to you, and I've experienced this in the last two or three weeks, where the presence of the living God just so encounters us that we drink deeply from the wells of salvation. We know what it is to taste, to know what it was to experience, his love and his power. Instead of all these needs coming in and we're thinking, oh my God, how are we going to handle this? We're not going to handle this as individuals. We're going to handle it as a team. And I just so sense that God, as believers come in, God doesn't want them to be orphaned, but to be so adopted into his family. And how is that going to happen? Again, through a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, you know this so well. You can easily see how this kind of thing should look no further than your own body. Your body has many parts and limbs, organs and cells. But no matter how many parts there are, there's only one body. And it's exactly the same with Jesus Christ. By coming to him, we say goodbye to our partial, and I love what this translation said, your peace be your lives. And God has designed us for modeling what church should be like, every part dependent on the other. And so, as I looked at that, I looked at the harvest, I looked at the outpouring of the Spirit, I looked at the outfinishing of well. And you know what? Connectedness is such a key. Like you can rave about the fact that you're an I, but if you're not connected, you're absolutely useless. You are just an ornament. And people would say, what's that? And what's that for? And I just feel God wants by his Holy Spirit to cause us to so come into a, a sense of a, a body where you just don't come through that door and think it's nice to see you, but God gives you a sense, no, we are one body called to be an expression of the life and the power of Jesus Christ. And you know how this body is so designed? And as you look over this body, that it cannot be said of any one of you that you do not belong and that you're not needed. Can I say that again? In this body, there's not one of you that does not belong and there's not one of you that is not needed. And I so felt I was just being in a conference where younger people were so wonderfully ministered to and children were powerfully ministered to, and it was exciting. And I just thought, but what about the older people? And I got the older people to stand. I didn't know where to draw the line because I didn't define myself. <laughs> I guess I have a problem admitting that I'm getting old. 
when I take a funeral, I have a little poem which says, I shall grow old perhaps, but not today. And it goes through the different phases and it ends up, she died believing she was still young. And I feel like that on the inside, that God wants us to be so connected. But can I just for a moment speak to you older people? And I want to honor you today. And I want to thank you that you're still in the race. I want to thank you that you were not put out by the past battles and your disappointments. I want to honor you that even though you've got many scars, you're still in the race. I want to thank you that you've remained passionate and devoted to him. I want to thank you that you've remained connected. And sometimes I want to say thank you that you're prepared to be inconvenienced, that you're not stuck in an old mindset, but you're beginning to be hungry for what God has. Older people, God has so arranged this body that you cannot say, and like the enemy would want you to feel, that you're irrelevant, that you've had your time, that you're no longer needed, that you haven't, you're of no value. That's not what the body's about. God wants to put something within you of where you are absolutely essential and you belong and you are needed. And I tell you, even though I know the harvest is, is related and it needs to be to young people, but you know, what are we bringing them into? Are we bringing them into a family where there are mothers and fathers? Those who have a passion for, who are prepared to be inconvenienced, who are prepared to be servants who are prepared to serve. You are not obsolete and you are not rejected. Oh, Father. God says, do you want to be great? And his disciples were acting as though they wanted to be great. And he didn't rebuke them for that, but he showed them how. He said, you know, if you want to be great, this is how you do it. He said, learn to become a servant. Just like the attitude that Jesus had in Philippians 2. Let the same attitude and his purpose be in you as he went to the cross. And you may not be a royalist, royalist, but I was so impressed with the Queen's funeral. It was epic. I love that God used her to bring 500 heads of states and dignitaries together. But oh, I love the message of the Archbishop. His uncluttered, his confronting message. And this is what he said. Few leaders... The pattern for many leaders is to be exalted in life and forgotten after death, forgotten after death. But the pattern for all those who serve God, famous or obscure, respected or ignored, death is the door to glory. And I just love the way in that five-minute epic speech he said, people of loving service are rare in every work of life. But leaders of loving service are still rarer. But in all cases, those who will love and will be remembered and those who cling to power and privileges 
are soon forgotten. And Paul said to Timothy, true servants are a rare find. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ at that funeral was preached to the nations. And I just want to say, the key to finishing well, not only you finishing well, but every member finishing well that you are connected, is that we delay down our perceived rights and disentangle ourselves from a pervading spirit of entitlement. And I just feel God is stirring. Do you know what I sensed in the spirit? That God wants to call you off the sidelines from being a spectator or an attender or just an observer. God was challenging you to strip yourself of the things that would hinder you going forward because it's a new day that he's causing, he, we are on. And it's going to, there's going to be days, I can't promise you, it won't be without difficulty. There's a promise that there will be persecutions. But I tell you what, as God knits us together, there is going to be a new commitment, a new connectedness as we prepare for a remarkable day. And I challenge you, church, are you ready for such a day? Do you want to stay where you are? Even at my age, and it's over 80, but I say, oh God, this is a remarkable day that you've called us into. It's a remarkable day in the body of Christ is intergenerational. And older people, we can't do without you. And younger people, I just felt God wants to unite the younger and the older together. And so what do you do? My final scripture is in Romans 12. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life and place it as an offering before God. Embrace what God is doing. It's the best thing you could ever do. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. But as you fix your attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside. And God will bring the best out in you. And so I want to say to a church, which I believe is already established on this, to be a great finisher, it, it is determination. It requires, first of all, a commitment. A trust that God is able a trust that you will receive courage, and with that courage comes a new anointing. I think there's a new alignment, and where God is touching us, and he's putting such a hunger, because I'll tell you, for the days ahead, you will not survive without being filled with the Holy Spirit, without being anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that's for every one of you. Paul said, I run into the abundance of God so that I can fulfill the call that you really, really have. And I want to say, church, do you want to exist? Or are you thirsty? And I just love what God says. As I experience, as he, as he gives me a hunger for him, life isn't just about me, but it's for all eternity. And one day I'll stand before him and I'll say, God, thank you. Thank you that you put your hand on me. Thank you that you gave me a grace to follow. Thank you that you gave me a grace and enabling to stay in the race. 
I'll never know how I did it, but you supplied and you anointed. And I thank you for the amazing people that made the journey with me. Shall we pray? This is an amazing body. But probably a key to my walk with God this year has been surrender. I've surrendered many, many times. But I've made a fresh surrender for this new day, which we've already crossed over into. A day of harvest. A day of picking up that mantle of serving. A day of experiencing a dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. It is a day of a new commitment. How far do you want to go? And if you sense God challenging you in your commitment, I'm not saying you haven't been, but I tell you, I said, oh, Father, here I am for this new day where we shall together, not just an individual, but together we shall be an expression in our connectedness and our love of who you are. And if you feel you can respond to that, I just ask you to stand. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Just stand to your feet. Say, Jesus, simply, here I am. It is a new day. I need you like I've never needed you before. I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to be part of what you're doing. It's such an incredible invitation. It's an invitation of his love and his mercy and his grace. I'll never know why he put his hand upon me, but I'm so glad he did. And Father, I'm committed to this body. I'm first of all committed to be part of who you are. Just in his presence, process that commitment. And Father, I just ask that not only will you see a commitment, but I tell you there's an endowment of power, that you'll know what it is to pray for the sick and they will be healed. You'll know what it is to see the breakthroughs that God has promised you. I believe this is a day that we're beginning to walk into. It's a day for God healing us on the inside. It's a day for God preparing us for a future that we had only vividly or maybe shallowly envisaged. And so I ask, oh God, that you would so fill these people by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, the presence of God is so real. He is so gracious. 
And sometimes our interaction with him is amazing. But I'm not sure if we have the time to pray. But if any of you wanted to come forward and say, oh, I so need another touch of the Holy Spirit and empowering, I just invite you to come forward and I'm sure we've got a prayer team. But I tell you, I say, God, I need everything of you. I've tasted some wonderful things, but oh God, you've enlarged my heart. You've enlarged my desire. And if any of you would feel that, I would just find it an incredible privilege not to spend a lot of time, but just to pray for this new thing that God is amazingly doing. I tell you, I am hungry for all that he has in these days. I'm hungry to see a body rise intergenerationally, older and younger. And as we function, people will say, truly, God is in this place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Grace, I just hand it back.